Good morning, Drew. Morning, Christopher. Welcome to So Many Damn Books. So many, so many, so many damn books. And now I welcome you here, Chin Chin. Mm. I have, are you, do you have caffeine? Uh, yes. <laughs> Is that just grain alcohol? <laughs> no, it's, um, it's hydrant, which is one of those like powders you stir into a thing and it's uh-huh. 100 milligrams of caffeine and makes your water more hydrating, you know, cause that's real. <laughs> Yo, this, I'm sticking, a, I'm sticking a pin in this to come back to in the recommendations section uh-huh. because I have had, I have thought. Okay. But anyway, so it's, I don't know. Is it good? Is it more, does it, is it more watery or something? It's just, it's so much more watery, Drew. It's just the most water, water you've ever watered. And this is, um, uh, high hydrant, mm-hmm. like, uh, spelled like the fire hydrant that my dog pees They're on. They're not paying us, man. We don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I was thinking we could try it. Uh, they could, if they wanted to pay us, they could. They certainly could. Um, we're here. We're available. You can write to us at so many damn books at gmail.com mm-hmm. and preferably just put, you don't have to put the figure, but you can put the number of zeros into the subject line. That's true for anybody too. If you, um, I don't know if you're a so many damn recently, books for sale. <laughs> a recently divorced um, billionaire looking to offload some change, you know, are you, are you saying Bill Gates should give us some money for fun? No, I was thinking Melinda. Oh, yeah. Um, or uh, Mackenzie Bezos. You know, the the readers of the... I guess Gates is a reader. Allegedly. Kinda, allegedly. He probably has a robot read it to him like a jerk. <laughs> Can you even imagine? Somebody's like, I'm too smart for this. And there's just like a robot sitting next to him, like reading in a monotone. Mm-hmm. Marley was dead. To begin with. Is that a Marley and me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how that book famously it starts, starts right? Marley dying. <laughs> oh, it's, boy. Either, it's either Marley and me or Charles Dickens. Yeah. The classic dichotomy. <laughs> it's um like Quirk should publish that when you know how they were doing all those mashups, the Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and stuff. A Christmas Carol mashed up with Marley and me. So mostly the mostly a Christmas story that just the visit from Marley is the dog. Uh-huh. And I think it's great. But he can't tell him like that three, you know, spooks are coming. He's just barking. <laughs> He's at just him. like <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to tell me, boy? I would read uh, this. Yeah, I think I would it's a great this. idea. <laughs> I'm excited to talk to you about we're we're gonna talk Highsmith today. We're gonna talk Yeah Ripley. The Ripley's. And I'm very excited to talk to you about that. I'm excited too. It's been a long time coming. I know I'm not drinking this right now because it's Sunday in the morning. <laughs> but I did make up a drink. Ooh. I'm calling it the Ripley Gimlet. Hell yeah. Because nothing is as it seems. It may be called a Gimlet. Uh-huh. 
but it's actually actually a daiquiri. Um, <laughs> and it's not even, well, I mean, gimlets are actually daiquiris if you believe the cocktail codex writers, but regardless. Um, <laughs> so there's this great, um, Dram puts out this great, uh, there were, it's gin without the juniper. Uh, it's this alcohol called okay. Escubac, um, which has like cardaway and cardamom and nutmeg. And it's colored with a little bit of saffron. It's absolutely delicious. And so I'm using that as the base um, alcohol. And then chamomile simple syrup, half an ounce of that. And then half an ounce of your own sort of sour mix. And so I mixed lime, lemon, and orange all together. Um, and so you should you can mess with those proportions at home. But those Ooh. three things, shaken with ice, double strain. So it's really, really, you know, easy drinking. Um, so yeah, nothing is as it seems in the Ripley Gimlet. And it's very, I think it's one of those drinks that like opens up to you the more you sip it. By the end, you're just like, yes, another. Nice. Which is also how you feel after reading an, a Ripley book sometimes. Depending, I don't know. Did you, we'll, we'll see if you liked it. I did, but it, in a complicated way, which I feel like is um, appropriate. Yes. For the books at hand. And the drink, which is a complicated drink. Um, I just was looking it up. Escubac is a very cool looking. Oh, it's a really cool looking bottle too. It's a nice, yeah. it's a nice thing to have on your shelf. Dram makes a lot of nice stuff. Cool. I mean, if we're going for sponsorships, really, I would like Dram to be the one. <laughs> Let's... I would, I mean, we can dream, right? Yeah. So we should talk about uh, buying things. Yes. What did you buy? So I, it's two things that I've gotten sent recently. Um, one of them is a debut novel called Mona at Sea by Elizabeth Gonzalez James. Uh, and it's a, you know, a millennial perfectionist graduating into the teeth of the, um, the recession in 2008, which I certainly commiserate with. Um, but it sounds like a, you know, another like funny, wry, uh, deeply meaningful um, millennial trying to make it novel. Mm. Which I feel like I'm not yet, I'm not yet, anywhere near tired of i kind of thought that maybe i would be because i don't know i lived it and continue to live it um but i'm always whenever i get a pitch like that i'm always like yeah i'll take a look at this so i'm excited to read that and then uh i got a uk proof which i always love to get it's just full of the the back and front cover are full of quotes which i also i think that's a really cool neat thing to do particularly for a debut the novel is called Open Water by Caleb Azuma Nelson. Um, and one of my one of my new part-time gigs is doing some events for this uh, organization called Jericho Writers in the UK. And the like headlining first summer festival writer conversation that actually I'm not even hosting it. Uh, I'll just be in the chat, but is with Caleb. And the the publicist was emailing the staff. And I was like, I mean, I'd like a copy, but you can just send me a PDF. It's okay. And the very sweet publicist was like, hell no, I'm going to send you a copy of the book. 
Um, and so, you know, came in like an air post and I was just like, ooh, yes, a British book. Um, so I'm excited to read that too. You got to eat some sort of British candy or like have some clotted cream on a... I have, they're, they're too far away and I'm too tied up in cables, but I, I have some um, lemon pasties that I think will be perfect. Uh, th- a little tin of them that I got there you go. at my local grocery store. Why they had those? Who knows? Who knows? What do you got? Yeah, I got two things that I'm very, very excited about. Book recommender uh, extraordinaire Nosley has been making snacking cakes on her Instagram. Oh, yeah. And so I had, and they look amazing. And the idea of a snacking cake is that one, it's really simple to make. And two, uh-huh. it's, you know, you just, every time you pass by it, you take a little, you take a little inch of the snacking cake. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's one bowl. Almost all the cakes are just like, Ooh. as like, you know, wet ingredients first, then dry then bake like very very simple and so uh-huh. it's snacking cakes is the name of it um cool yasi arefi wrote it and 50 cakes i'm really excited to to make some snacking cakes i feel like it's going to be the thing to do this summer is like just bring one of those to the park oh yeah good idea have a, a nice sweet picnic and then cool i'm really i I actually exclaimed with glee when I opened this um, box that came because we got sent the new Maggie Nelson on Freedom, Four Songs of Care and Constraint. And of course, we are Maggie Nelson super fans on the show. We got to talk to Stephanie Dandler about Bluettes, and Mm -hmm. we've talked about the Argonauts um, in the past. And so I'm very, very excited to read this new one, it comes out in September. Um, so pre-order it because pre-orders mean the world. Yes. Mean the world to people. Um, but I cannot wait to read what she's up to. I mean, I don't know one lick about this book, but I'm very excited to be back in Maggie Nelson's sentences. Yeah, it should be fun. I don't, I, I too, I'm trying to not know anything about it other than the title. And then I will sit down to read it and be pleasantly surprised Mm -hmm. yeah i can't wait this has truly been a long time coming we've been we've talked about i mean we've even talked ripley i mean talked highsmith on the show so so much Mm -hmm. uh what was the first it was my first highsmith was deep water when um megan abbott came on the show that's right one of the times that megan came on the show uh, and I remember like that, that was a big moment, uh, because you, even at that point were well into your highsmithing. Yeah, I, am. Um, I was brought to highsmith by um, my, I had a grad school class that was just looking at first chapters of books and looking Ooh. at like what you can learn from reading a first chapter and, and what sort of books get set up in what ways. And so we read the first chapter to Ripley and the first chapter to Strangers on a Train. And cool. it was a really exciting, strange way of looking at books. And But both of those first chapters are so impressive and alluring and exciting that it's like, oh yeah, like I understand completely why, you know, I wanted to read more. And so I read that first Talented Mr. Ripley 
And like halfway through it, I stopped, ordered the next four online. Um, and because I knew I was just like, I want to read that. And they all came and I read them all five Ripley's over the, over a weekend. Nice. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the beginning of the talented Mr. Ripley is fucking phenomenal. It just, it throws you in, in a way that is like, you can't not keep reading. Yeah. You know, as he's like ducking into a bar because he's maybe running away from somebody like, and then he's like in the bar quickly moving through the moments in his head of like, okay, what can I do? How do I get out of this? How can I pretend that I've been here? Just that it, it, yeah. From like a craft standpoint, it, it asks so many questions, but they're all uh, delivered with such a barb in the hook that you're like, yeah, well, I have to see what this guy's deal is. I feel, I don't, I don't, pretend to think that he was the first of these but he's certainly one of the most memorable of the charming sociopath the yeah you the you can't help but root for them but you're also rooting for them to get caught but you also want them to get away like the and i feel like so many character sense are somewhat in the ripley mold mm-hmm. you, it, looking at someone like dexter Mm-hmm. And I mean Dexter, the serial killer, not the small, the small child in the laboratory. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or e- even Don Draper on Mad Men. I feel like there, there's sure. the people, these people who are like charming, and they can kind of become another person, and you're sort of rooting for them to get away with that. It's it's an exciting sort of person to be with. Yeah, it's funny too because I think that. I can't think of another um, anti-hero, charming sociopath, however you want to describe him, who is as kind of as like unmitigatedly a pain in the ass as Ripley is. Like even Don Draper, he has these moments where specifically there's like the charm is layered in. Mm -hmm. Whereas like Ripley is truly has the like, almost the psychopath thing. Like there is sort of a very cold underneath with Ripley that is, if anything, it's even more impressive of a, an accomplishment to write that character and make you root for him in a way that I feel like Patrick Bateman, like all of the, the more intense, more macabre versions of Ripley who've been written over the decades it's almost like at some point the author couldn't couldn't really go all the way and truly write the stone cold iteration of it. Cause how can you outdo what Highsmith did? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and especially because she wrote sequels, you know, she, she they they have that sequelitis thing of bigger, mm-hmm. better, bigger crimes, crazier circumstances. Um, there's a later entry in the series Ripley's Game where he mm-hmm. like basically tries to get someone else to murder someone for him just because he's like <laughs> that sounds like a fun weekend you know like <laughs> and and yeah, the, I'm... I mean I think also you know I, I sense a lot of um, Donna Tart 
has taken a lot of the mm. lessons of Ripley and put them in her novels because it's that same sort of like, I don't know, you want them to to continue because you love the aesthetic. Like, and and Ripley's drawn to aesthetic in the same way that Richard Papin is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like the way that the books the books almost have a formula to them. It's not quite, but it is a little bit of like, we're introduced to Ripley uh, at some stage in his life. Then we're introduced to whatever sort of nefarious thing he's up to, whether that's like art forgery, dealing with the mafia, some kid came along, like each of these things. And then it's like, now let's, like, that's, I don't know almost half the novel sometimes where it's just like something he's doing something sketchy you know at some point somebody's gonna die mm-hmm. death happens and then ripley's like how am i gonna get out of this one <laughs> and there is a little bit of that like you're you're there both for the the pleasures of the storytelling but also for sort of that like that meta pleasure of ooh she's put him into this trap how is he going to like, and we know he's going to get out of the trap. And so how is he going to do it? There is, I never felt concerned that he was going to get caught. And I think that's the thing that I found most, God, most difficult about like, because there is, I did have a, I was looking for more of a moral delivery, like the moral arc of the universe bending towards justice thing. Right. And it, I never doubted for a second that he was going to get away with everything. Right. It's the, um, it's the serious problem. It's like, it's the Batman mm-hmm. problem. Like Batman will never die at the end, unless it's like the end of that Batman run. Right. Right. And in so many ways, Ripley is a superhero. Yeah. Or supervillain or cause he's always, one step ahead or has another idea or is strangely competent at this thing that he needs to be (laughs) competent with. And, and, you know, the main one is just his ability to mimic. Yeah. You know, his, his ability in the first one to become Dickie Greenleaf to a ridiculous extent Mm -hmm. is his superpower. And then you see that superpower sort of get applied to different situations even like cross-dressing in Berlin in the later, the later installments. Yeah. It's, um, it reminded me a lot of the way that we think about Sherlock Holmes now too, like Holmes as sort of the master mimic it's it, you play it in the movies or in the show where Watson's like, I thought I was talking to this old beggar. And then he took off his nose and it was Holmes. Oh my God. <laughs> there's a bit like, there's that, thing about Ripley where he's so able to I don't know but to do it in a way that doesn't doesn't feel as showy as Holmes where Holmes is like master of makeup and disguise and stuff Ripley's like I put a little bit of lemon juice in my hair mm-hmm. and I combed it a different way and ta-da I'm Dickie Greenleaf and it's like how right but the way that everybody falls for it yeah it does feel like a superpower well and and also in the way of um it's like a little bit of fantasy fulfillment of like Mm -hmm. because like not only does he get away with it but he gets like i don't know 
just like a bunch of money from Dickie's parents and like lives off of his trust fund. And you're just, <laughs> yeah. and, and as that's happening, you're just like, ah, Ripley, you cad. But you know, like you you feel that he's getting away with something in the way that you want like the Ocean's Eleven crew to get away with it. Like, because mm-hmm. it's just like, well, they don't like whoever he's scamming is a fool. Like their, their money, they're usually rich people. So you don't feel that bad about yeah. Yeah, them losing their money. It's to a murderous sociopath, sure, but <laughs> but a fool. Their um, money are soon parted. Damn it! Right. One of the real big pleasures for me of these novels is just the the phone life of like <laughs> pay phones, hotel phones, leaving a message at a hotel desk at a mm-hmm. or just like everyone knows that john's at the bar at this hour like there's always yeah and they like call the bar oh my god and the guys Amazing. they look around for that guy and there's just always like weird phone stuff that is only that could never happen now because we all carry our mm-hmm. phones um and i just i think it's one of those things that really dates it and really makes you feel like you're in a vintage paperback yeah <laughs> yeah big time so, in a way that like someday people will look back at novels written right now and be like, there will be something about the ways in which we are communicating, even f- like early cell phone novels where people are calling versus novels that are coming out now where people are texting. Right. Or, um, you know, you know, I was reading a book that like was really working with MySpace. you know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that, man. I like living in that time period. Me too. You know, I think it's disingenuous when an author will not use it. Like they seem to like write around it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. One thing that I found really interesting reading it from the point of view of 2021, the way in which Highsmith is thoroughly unbothered by the way that the novels move through time, or at least that that was how, like the first novel is written in 1990 or 1955, mm-hmm. I think. And the second one is like 20 years later um, or 15 years later, but the, the jump in time doesn't quite match, mm-hmm. but she's just like, she's talking about, it's like, ah, oh, it's the sixties or whatever in a way that's like, hang on, it's only been like three or four years, hasn't it? And the way that, I, I I hated that I noticed it and it, in the way that like, I think the final Ripley book was written in like 95 or something. Mm-hmm. So the five books come out over 40-ish years. Mm-hmm. Ripley moves through, to, like he's not in the 90s in that last book, but there's definitely a sense that like he's further ahead in time than the chronology. If it was being written today, an editor would be like, no, you have to make sure, like you said that it was five years since this thing, but- this sociopolitical thing doesn't happen until three years after that in a way that like, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to the enjoyment of the books. Clearly it didn't matter to Highsmith in a really like, I don't know, a pleasant throwback almost. Yeah. To, to being in a place where it's like, the point is not that these five novels hang together and that you can linearly chart each thing and be like, ah, it was three years here, six months here that's not the point. Like the point is the specific pleasures of each discrete installment. I think it's that like 
you said Batman too, that like the comic book thing where the the discrete installment is the joy, mm-hmm. not the overarching combined universe of it. You re- Did you read them all basically one yeah. after another? It was, it was brutal, to be <laughs> honest. Like, it, it is both pleasurable and kind of not like it's kind of painful to watch um to be in his head yeah i think it's that like he's not for as charming as he is i think because we sort of get to see unlike anybody in his life we get to see through the veneer um and because i know enough about highsmith as a person and know that she sounds like she was not a tremendously pleasant character oh no she seems like a real horrible person yeah and so there's like there's a bit of that where you're just like yeah i'm gonna keep reading but like i need to take a shower like oh yeah that that voice is is difficult and that she's so you know highsmith really felt like she was putting herself on the page uh, with mm-hmm. ripley there's a story where she used to sometimes sign books as Ripley and then cross it out and then write Patricia Highsmith underneath <laughs> which uh that's funny and also so alarming yeah the likelihood that she murdered somebody feels more like more than a 50% chance at some point in her life and got away with it and was like wow you know I've tried to read two biographies of her and I've given up both times because it just turned out like "Ah, I don't really want to know that much more about her I just want to read her books and there's enough of those yeah I have that anecdote about her at the party with like the snail in her bag yeah that was her guest that she brought Uh a a head of lettuce covered in snails to the party and it's like there's that thing where if you don't know anything else about her other than that she's an author, it's like, oh, what a cute, charming quirk. Mm -hmm. And then you read, honest to God, like a paragraph of her writing. And it's like, oh, you're a, like a a horrifying person. Mm -hmm. I absolutely would run the other direction as soon as you walked into a party. Cause I just would be like, I just have this image of her like talking to the snails or something and everybody just kind of being like, okay yeah i um i think somebody needs ice in the kitchen and just like you know well and her description of how parties work is always people trying to like extricate themselves away from the person like from tom or from the the, yeah. the person that he's you know using for his nefarious scheme right um you know what i was thinking about i uh carmen maria machado just tweeted that she had just reread The Talented Mr. Ripley. And she was like, how could anybody stand up in the 50s because of how much they drink? There's, and I was thinking so about like, there's, drinks. and they're like, he's like, takes a disco nap, wakes up at 11 and has like another pitcher of martinis. Yeah, but at the same time, those martinis, the the um, glasses have gotten bigger Mm-hmm. so like mm-hmm. the three martini lunch or whatever that people talked about those were not two and a half ounces of liquor martinis <laughs> they were like a half ounce of liquor with like so much water from yeah. like stirring with ice or shaking with ice i do feel like 
<laughs> they were making their drinks far less strong. But yeah, also still though, there's so much alcohol. I just, everybody's drunk all the time. Maybe that's the also part of the um, fantasy fulfillment of just like, wouldn't it be nice to just always have a pitcher of martinis around? <laughs> Yeah. I also wonder how much of that contributes to people being like, oh, it's Dicky. And it's like, uh, and Tom's like, uh, yes, it's me, Dicky. And everybody's like, yeah, Dickie. have another you know drink. I, mean? I am Dicky Greenlee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let me freshen your glass. By the way, call me Dicky Greenlee. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay, Tom. I mean, Dicky, you know. <laughs> yeah, I guess if the people are drunk enough, they'll they'll believe anything. <laughs> yeah. You believe that at magic yeah. shows, you believe that when you're about to be killed by Tom Ripley. <laughs> I mean, there is something that happens though in the later books, they do his other stuff catches up with him. It's not Yeah. which is also one of the really interesting things about reading the series and why you might not like to read like just the fourth one mm -hmm. because like suddenly the, yeah the, the fourth one really like really leans back on everything that happened in book one um yeah and it's like it's sort of funny because it faints in one direction like oh it's going to be about this but it's like nope there's it's really going to be about like everything that he's done so far having a fallout yeah yeah, and and even still, like it doesn't even feel like the kind of like oh spoil. It's just like, and then he he wriggles out of it, and like the the uncomfortable pleasure is in watching the wriggle. Mm -hmm. You know, I um I feel like people have tried to make you know Highsmith esque is something that people like to compare authors to now. I read that book, Social Creature by Tara Isabella Burton. That was uh -huh. sort of trying to gender flip and but bring into the 21st century the sort of sociopath <laughs> who you're sort of charmed by. And it doesn't, it didn't, it was nearly there. And there's so many things that I'm that is close to doing all the things that the Highsmith novels do, but they're always there's something I don't know what it is. Do you do you? And now that you've read all of them, do you know what I mean? I do. I mean, I think it is. I think it's the unflinchingness. I think that it's really hard if you yourself are not a borderline sociopath. I think it's really hard to write that to write in that mindset and not deliver some amount of humanity or so like I th I've been thinking a lot about American Psycho and Patrick Bateman and how Brett Easton Ellis it turns out is like oh yeah kind of a borderline sociopath um but that even that book there's no heart in Bateman certainly but there's heart in the book in a way okay. that like that I feel like in all five of the Ripley books in particular and I I don't really know if I felt this way about Deep Water uh, or if I would feel this way about her other books like I, I don't know if it's because of Ripley but it feels like 
when you when you burrow down, it's just it's turtles all the way down. It's like cold, icy, unsparing all the way down in a way that I think is just really, really tough to pull off if you yourself don't view the world that way. Yeah. I mean, part of it, part of the reason why it works for Highsmith is that they're just so taut. They're so tight. They're so short. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, Mm -hmm. I, um, when I got my copies, I ordered a bunch of used seventies paperbacks and they're those perfect slim pocket, um, sized novels. And it's really the type of thing where, I mean, I think when I was deep into my Highsmith obsession, um, I would take like three on vacation and just like Mm -hmm. go off one and go to the next one. And there's, there's, I've, I've seen that in novels sense of a writer using reading particularly Patricia Highsmith novels in Uh that order. I've seen it more than once, which is so strange. Yeah. It's like, it's become a shorthand, which is so, yeah, so strange. And I think, I do think it's because there's nothing else. Nobody has done it better, but nobody's even necessarily done it the same since. It's like, it's a very, a very specific thing Mm -hmm. that I think, you know, it, it deserves the shorthand in a way, like the shorthand actually matches up to the caliber of the, the product in a way that sometimes you're like, oh, okay. You're just like, you're trying to bridge a gap in my mind or like make me think about this thing uh, by referencing a potentially superior product. Whereas like, this is really like, no, there's a, there's a particular vibe that I need you to understand. And that vibe comes only in the world from these books. Mm -hmm. And how often can you say that? Do you, um, I was thinking about this when I got to the end of the fifth book and had that sense of like, you know, it it didn't, Ripley's story didn't feel done really, Mm -hmm. but it got me thinking about whether or not someday we might see Ripley come back to the page in the way that like James Bond has come back to the page. Oh. Sherlock Holmes is like the, the way that, um, who was it? Ewan Colfer finished the Douglas Adams mm-hmm. series. Yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, it like, it feels like a character, you know, I could like, where they're like here, Gillian Flynn, do you want a gajillion dollars? to write a Ripley novel. Yeah, I mean, it would really, it would have to be her or Donna Tart. Yeah. I can't really picture anybody else doing it, but maybe Donna Tart would like it because it could, you know, it could be a, a, an in-between project for her. Yeah, she's just like, oh, I, I cracked this out over the weekend. It just kind of felt too easy. She's got, no, you know what it is? She's been publishing Ripley fan fiction on the internet <laughs> for years and none, nobody knows. Yeah. And then she just changed all the names to um the all the characters in Secret History. <laughs> <laughs> what Secret History is is actually four Ripley fan fiction novels that she repurposed. <laughs> yeah, I mean based it together. And it is, I mean, it's funny that you're thinking of Patrick Bateman because it is dead Secret History is dedicated to Brett Easton Ellis. So they're connected this yeah. worlds. It's the the Bennington connection. 
Ah, Bennington. So are you glad that you took the Ripley ad journey? I am. Um, I don't think I'll be returning to Patricia Highsmith for a, a long minute because I feel like I'm like, ooh. Yeah, um, five in a row is probably enough. Yeah. But also I do, I'm like, God, I really got to read Strangers on a Train. I love the film adaptation. It's one of my favorite Hitchcock movies. Um, yeah. You know, and there is something pleasing to the like, uh, the reliable pleasures of, I use pleasures loosely in this case, but to be able to be like, I know I can go pick up a Highsmith at any time and get exactly what I'm expecting. Yeah. I guess we can say, you know, we can recommend, we can recommend the the Highsmith experience, especially if you're drawn oh, yeah. to it. If you've been like kind of interested, but you haven't taken the leap, go for it. Um, I think Talented Mr. Ripley is really the best Highsmith to start with. Yeah, I would agree. It's just like, it's everything firing on all cylinders and if you get to the end and you don't like it you've also still got that particular like you've got the best one kind of yeah yeah so speaking of diving into older classic things yeah that one of the two of us haven't read as we shift into recommendations i happen i have some inside scoop here yeah uh according to my notes do you want to do you want to you want to get us started oh yeah i my wife bought a really beautiful copy of dune that mm-hmm. really gorgeous one that's that's flocked with blue and it's a real foil uh-huh. shiny cover and um i've had that copy of dune on my shelf the the one that everyone has the the paperback the black paperback with the dune on the Mm -hmm. cover for so long and i've like looked into it and it's just there's it's just blocks of text like it's just it it was so um intimidating Mm -hmm. and then also knowing that like people are like yeah none of the rest of them are very good and the first one made into a terrible movie that you know that people like (laughs) You know, it's a cult classic, but people also really dislike it. Um, yeah. So there's just so much stuff about the Dune world that just seems like it wasn't going to be for me. But this gorgeous copy and, you know, Sarah's a big fan. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And I think there was like this early moment where someone is wearing a cape for the mm-hmm. world f- and the way that he wears the cape, people are like, what a stupid idiot. Like, he's not wearing that cape, right? <laughs> he's, he's obviously never worn a cape before. It's so dumb. And I just, it, I immediately, like, got into it because there was just, there's this internal logic of how, how the fashion works, how the science works. That mm-hmm. was just, and it's so strange, too, because it's really alien, but then there's still, like, palm trees and... <laughs> you know, like there's still remnants of the world that I understand as a human, even though yeah, Earth is nowhere to be found in these books, um, or at least or in this book. I totally fell into it. Um, I really the the strange combat style and mm-hmm. the way that time moves in them. Um, 
I I was just completely swept away, which Hell yeah. I was completely surprised by. And I also um, am very excited about the the new movie adaptation that's coming our way with yeah with Timothy Chalamet. And that I think is only going to be the first half of you're kidding me. the book. <laughs> yeah. That makes me less excited. Well, I was the thing of like how to fit that. Cause it's a huge, so much happens. Well, that's the thing about that copy that I was originally talking about. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's not very good because like the chapters go right into the next chapter on the same page yeah. Yep. Which feels weird. It doesn't give you that space to breathe. And you also see if you actually spaced it like a normal book, it's mm-hmm. 600 pages. Yeah. But if you, it's only if you really scrunch it all together and make it impossible to read. It's like, ah, see, 300. Just like, yeah. Good, I guess. Size 10 times New Roman. And you're like, um, yeah. Yeah. With all of these phrases, like, and um, because I was have only experienced doing it as a book, I would be re- referencing things, and Sarah would be like, "Say that again." <laughs> um, and I'm I'm now I'm still like holding back from pronouncing things because I'm pretty sure I still don't have it right. Um, yeah, but there's just so much sci-fi ridiculousness to it. But I can see why there's just so much to get into. There's so many little details that if you're a nerd for any part of it, you can really grab onto it and think about it. Like mm-hmm. the still suits in particular, so fascinating. And like a, a one of those sci-fi inventions that then comes back around to the real world where like a moisture wicking still suit is something that exists in the world now in a way that like, yeah, it probably, like we probably would have invented that because people got to figure out how to live in a desert. But there is that thing of like, this guy wrote it in whatever, 1970, Mm -hmm. in a way that absolutely, like the way that things work in the desert, absolutely inspired real technology. Because also all the people who are making the real technology, all a bunch of nerds who read Dune. 65, by the way. 65, good Lord. Yeah, it's so strange to think that like while Patricia Highsmith was writing another Ripley book, there was also mm-hmm. someone imagining the, du- the dune planet of Arrakis. Arrakis. Yeah. Um, I also really you... want to see people surfing on worms. Like that just sounds like yeah. really cool and weird. Yeah. Um. If you, I would say that you could read the next two books. I really, I liked Dune Messiah and Children of Dune when I read them as a teenager. And then I think I was, I think it was Chapter House Dune. And I was just like, uh, blah, blah. Um, that thing that like the way that time works really starts like just the six books that he wrote take place over millennia, Jeez. which is just like, and in kind of a wild concept. I mean, he's not the only one. Like the foundation books that Asimov wrote, he does the same thing. Yeah. But there's something that's like, that's that's tough to swallow. Mm-hmm. It's hard enough to jump like a decade, you know? Well, especially if you're coming in and you get really attached to characters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if while you're waiting for the uh, adaptation, the movie adaptation, sci-fi, the network did a 
honestly a pretty good adaptation. There's the first one, which is just Dune, and then the second one starring a young James McAvoy hmm. as Paul's son um, combines Dune Messiah and Children of Dune. And it's like, it's some big sci-fi circa 2000 CGI energy okay. at times. Uh, but that, that's its own kind of yeah. particular pleasure if you're looking for that. Um, but it's another, it's another fun, uh, like I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to having the opportunity to see in my mind anyway, I have no interest in rewatching David Lynch's Dune. Um, but like to think about the ways in which it's been at- adapted or attempted to be adapted four times. Mm-hmm. Cause there's also the Jodorowsky Dune that would like wanted Salvador Dali as the God emperor and all sorts of like truly crazy shit. Yeah. There's um, some like uh, production stills and things. There's that documentary. Yeah. That I've seen the trailer for. So obviously I'm an expert. Um, <laughs> that was just like the, the just the spaceship design is completely bonkers. Fucking out of this world insane. Yeah. And then I learned that all of that stuff, it was um, H.R. Giger, who then went on to do the designs for Alien mm-hmm. and actually used some of the stuff that he was going to do for Dune for Alien. Oh, that makes sense. Right? Mm-hmm. All comes together. So I recommend that new, very gorgeous, it's like Dune Deluxe. Um, if you see it around, it's, go- it's a really beautiful, and I, it's the, to me, it's the preferable way to read it because it's so, it was a really lush book. You're holding, it's just a nice object to hold as you're deep into Dune. Nice. My other recommendation is a movie. Okay. It's a little indie flick called Godzilla versus King Kong. Um, My God, I loved it so much. (laughs) I love Godzilla. I love King Kong. The the Peter Jackson King Kong, I saw it three times Mm -hmm. in theaters. That's how much I love it. Um, And this, I would have really liked to have been able to see this in a theater for realsies. Yeah. But it was still awesome at home. And um, one of the main things that I was thinking about was the canonical King Kong has to climb the Empire State Building um, to get to the top of it. But the King Kong in this movie is so much larger. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's the same size as Godzilla, which is not how I thought that they would be matched up. I thought that there yeah. was gonna, they would have to do something to um, make Kong big enough to fight him. If you're looking for that, that doesn't happen. Instead, it's <laughs> like not of the same size. Uh, it was fantastic. Um, I uh, I haven't stopped thinking about it. I've actually dreamed a couple King Kong versus Godzilla dreams. Hell yeah! Um, and so you know, it it's great B movie energy with enormous production budget. Mm-hmm. So fantastic! I like that. That all of those it it does something similar to the Ripley books of like the discrete pleasures of each entry, and that each like sure they've been doing the like building the monster verse or whatever, but that like each one doesn't necessarily need to hang together with the previous like 
is Kong the same size in this movie as he was in Kong Skull Island or in the Peter Jackson? It doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> He's here to fight Godzilla. And so he'll be that size. And if in the next movie he needs to be smaller, he'll be smaller. You know? <laughs> so those are my recommendations. You, what are you recommending? Uh, uh, two books. I'm going to work backwards. So the first thing I'm recommending is what I read after I read my second recommendation. Okay. Um, it's a poetry collection. It's really, it's two collections, uh, The Revisionist and The Astro Pastorals mm -hmm. by Douglas Crace. Um, the Revisionist came out ages ago, um, won the National Book Award, and then went out of print. And Nightboat Books brought it back into print with a chapbook of some uncollected poems that Crace had written since. Um, and I was, I really needed like a reset. I needed uh, some space to just like have, I don't know, have brain space, but I still wanted to be reading something. And the revisionist is one of the most wonderful pieces of poetry I've read in a long time. It's Whitman-esque uh, in the way that it deals with nature and the world, but it's just like, uh, I just fell into it and had a really lovely, refreshing time reading it and it's sort of one there are segments uh within the revisionist but it's kind of one long poem it's a little in that way like a little song of myself -y. okay um sounds good i yeah i really loved it and and grace was somebody who i had never heard of before um you know one of those like award-winning authors poets who sort of falls out of history a little bit for one reason or another um and so it was, it was really lovely. I was sitting out in my yard reading and kind of just like feeling at peace with the world, which is one of, one of the great things about great poetry, the way that it can sort of slow you down and place you back into the world that's around you. Uh, and I needed that because I read, uh, and you should all pre-order it immediately, the new Alexandra Kleeman novel, mm. Something New Under the Sun, which is absolutely going to rock your world. It's um, set, you know, it's one of these like set 10 minutes into the future kind of novels. Uh, this writer has flown out to Los Angeles for an adaptation of a book that he wrote. Um, and he's like flying. He's like, I'm the author of the adaptation. Oh, it's going to be so cool. And immediately things start to go south. Mm -hmm. um, it turns out that the, he's like in the, in his contract, like he's a production assistant <laughs> and he's like sort of showing up like expecting. And so he's just completely fish out of water. He's from the Northeast and he ends up in LA and it is an LA that is increasingly on fire, which is true but also a California that has not only privatized water, but they're sell it's, it's a company that's selling water, W-A-T-R. Mm -hmm. And unsurprisingly, if you read, you two can have a body like mine. Um, Alex does some like interesting, cool things with playing around with like the capitalism of this. Uh, it's, it's a horrifying novel in some ways. It's utterly compelling. It's even better than you two can have a body like mine. 
And I, I got to the end of it and was so shaken by it. Uh, and so just like it, it triggered something in my brain that I immediately started rereading it, mm-hmm. which has only ever happened to me once before. And that was with you two can have a body like mine. Mm-hmm. Like it's just something about how Alex writes trips something in my brain. Um, I loved this book so much. I cannot wait to talk about it. Uh, and your little hydrant hydration pod thingy. When I was reading this book, it's just like, I have such a fear of anything that is, we, I just had uh, the Culligan man come out to my house because we need to get a new water softener. Okay. And he was like talking about like, and we could put in this filter and this filter and this thing. And I was like, nope, no, 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 no. Don't trust it. I got a well and I want my well. And I, all I want is for the water to be softer. I don't, I don't know. I don't trust, I don't trust it. Don't put anything in my water. Um, in a way that I felt a little bit like that about Soylent too, where I'm just like, ah, I don't know about this. Mm-hmm. I don't know about your, your better water than water. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and so, you know what? Enjoy it until you read Alex's book. And then you're just, I can see it. I'm looking, I'm thinking of you in your part and just like, there's a glass of water on the table and you look at it and you're like, did I put did I put hydrant in that water or is it regular water? Mm-hmm. See, I, I barely ever drink regular water anymore ever since getting a soda stream. If it's not violent with bubbles, oh. <laughs> <laughs> if it doesn't That's assault me okay. as, I, <laughs> as I drink it, I don't want any part of it. If every sip doesn't somehow go up your sinuses. Exactly. Yeah. That feels all right. I think you're okay there. I want to be physically shook with every <laughs> sip of water. <laughs> if it's not freshly seltzed, put it down the sink. <laughs> yeah, so you, you zhuzh it every time you drink it, huh? No, I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm inhabiting a character now. I, oh, I see. Yeah, it's character work, you know? Sure. Yes, and. Yes, of course. <laughs> Dicky, <laughs> we both winked at each other. <laughs> okay, so that's the podcast, right? Uh, that's it. We've done it. Uh, everybody at home, go home, go and uh, review us on iTunes. Please do that. Actually, for real, go write and... us a nice iTunes review. We really appreciate when those nice reviews come in. You can go to Patreon.com/smdb. Uh, to chip in some money if you'd like. We're going to do our next mailing soon. I won't tell you what it is, but I'm putting it together now-ish. And uh, that'll be fun. It'll be yummy. And we're also going to, um, you know, we also like to hang with our patrons. So we're going to be announcing more patron hangs soon. Yeah. Any other questions? You can find us at so many damn books at all the places. And we'll see you next time in the pages of the books.